Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Reading from Matthew 27, 26 through 54, one of the most difficult passages to read in the New Testament. Then he released Barnabas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man of Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at them, shaking their heads and saying, He who you are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will all believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurions and those with them who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Thank you, Craig Pearson, for reading the scripture for us so beautifully this morning. And ladies, thank you for singing so beautifully. And Gary, again, thank you for leading us so beautifully today. Keep your Bibles open, please, as we continue 
near to the end of our series in the Royal Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, we saw that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and that the abuse began as we look back to verse 67 of chapter 26. And it says, Then they spit in his face and they struck him and some slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? And so the abuse continued. Peter denied Jesus. We come to chapter 27 in the verses that we did not have time to read this morning. Judas, the betrayer, hangs himself. And then Jesus appears before Governor Pilate. Pilate wilted under the demands of the crowd for crucifixion, released to them in order to pacify them somewhat, a convicted murderer named Barabbas, and handed Jesus over to be crucified. As we read in that first verse that Craig read this morning, in verse 26, then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This morning, we will remember again what Jesus has done for us. Let us never forget, and let us never forget the details. It is one thing to say, Jesus died for my sin. That is meaningful, isn't it? It seems a tad antiseptic to simply say that one sentence. We need to remember the details of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So we'll do that for the next few minutes. I want us to notice several things. And the first is this. The king tortured. The king tortured. It says he was scourged or flogged. The Romans were experts at scourging, and they had men designated in the army to do this specific duty when needed. They used what is called a cat of nine tails, made of leather, had a handle, and at the end of it were nine strips of leather, and at the end of each strip of leather there was a balled up piece of leather into which they would embed bits of glass and bone. For the purpose of the cat of nine tails was to inflict maximum damage, maximum pain, maximum torture, just short of death itself. The scourging, the flogging, was intended to punish the victim, but also intended to deliver a message to any who would think about breaking the law or rebelling against Rome. Here is what we do to those who rebel against us. And so the totally innocent one who knew no sin is scourged, is, is flogged. The Roman soldier who did this was good at it. I, I can't even begin to imitate. But I know that as he would lash the back, 
And, and as the cat of nine tails would hit the back of Jesus and the bits of bone and glass would dig in, that his motion was, you understand what that would do. You, you take it down and you jerk it in order to tear as much of the flesh, tendons, nerves, even blood vessels as possible. Jesus endured scourging. There is this popular theory that Jesus endured 39 lashes, but we really don't know that for sure. The Bible doesn't say. Jewish law forbid more than 39 lashes because Jewish law said a person can't survive 40, they can survive 39. But remember, the Romans are carrying out this punishment, and they had no such law. So whether it was 39 or 40 or more or less, it was torturous, and it was horrible for our Savior. They would have laid him on a sloping stone made of probably limestone, They would have laid him across it so that he was like this with his feet extended behind him. Then they would take his hands, tie them together, and tie it to a post so that he couldn't move. He had to endure each of those lashes knowing in advance that the pain would be torturous. When they had finished the scourging, they put a scarlet robe on his back. Can you imagine the pain of just simply touching the lacerated back the scarlet is symbolic of royalty so further mockery of jesus in saying oh he's a king give him a scarlet robe they put a scarlet robe on his back and then they put a crown of thorns upon his head perhaps somewhat like this this one you can turn either way and it's equally effective And understand that when they placed it on his head, they were not gentle. This is not Miss America pageant. They did not gently place it upon his head. They rammed it upon his head. So that the thorns would dig into his skull as deeply as possible. And exact maximum pain and and suffering. And again, the crown of thorns is an act of mockery. It's like the robe was. He's a king. Give him a robe. He's a king. Give him a crown. And they did give him a crown. Then verse 30 says they gave him a staff. Every king needs a staff. So they gave him a staff, a, a stick of some sort. And then they took it from him and used it to beat him hitting him about the head with the staff. And so we see that our Savior, the King, is tortured. Almost beyond belief. But don't forget a single detail. Not one. Secondly, we see the King is mocked. Started... Earlier, verses 29 through 31 that Craig read for us said that they knelt before him 
And they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And they continued to mock him. The innocent heart of the Son of God in the flesh. Last week, I made an observation that I had no idea would resonate with some of you, but I had several of you say, that's exactly what I've thought many times, and that was, there is something delicious about the thought of God saying, enough, take your hands off my son, zap, take you all out. There's something delicious in our sinful humanity in thinking about Jesus on the cross saying, I don't have to put up with this. I'm coming down, wiping all of them out. Infantile thinking, if I do say so. But you've probably thought about it, haven't you? Praise God he didn't. Praise God he didn't come off the cross. For if he had, we would be lost and without hope. The king is mocked. Verse 27 tells us that a whole battalion or cohort of Roman soldiers was in that place. A a battalion or a cohort of Roman soldiers would have been 600 men. Now, I don't know that they all crowded into the room, but there was a significant number of them. And there's no telling what all was said to Jesus in the mockery. We only have a few of the words. But you can rest assured there was much more than is written here. Then when he got to Golgotha to be crucified, there were the thieves and the passers-by and the religious leaders heaping abuse upon him. We need to remember every single detail of what the Savior went through for us. Why do we need to remember? Lest we forget and lest we be something less than eternally grateful for what Jesus has done for us. Number three, the king is crucified. It says they led him away, and he carried, in keeping with Roman tradition, he would have carried the crossbeam on his shoulders. If you can imagine the agony of that in his weakened position in carrying that rough wooden beam upon shoulders that are lacerated and bleeding. It was very heavy. He had a weakened condition. He's going through the city, crowded for Passover. It's loud. It's mocking. Jesus could no longer carry the cross beam, and so a man named Simon from Cyrene in northern Africa was enlisted to carry the cross beam. Maybe he thought, what did I do to deserve this? I'm just showing up for Passover. Why do I have to do this? But we believe it resulted ultimately at some point in the salvation of Simon of Cyrene because the Gospel of Mark talks about his children who were followers of Christ, Alexander and Rufus. They go to the place of the skull, Golgotha. Very public. The notion of crucifixion in private or on a hill far away 
is not accurate. Crucifixions were always in a very public place so that the maximum number of people would see the crucifixion and be warned, don't you dare rebel against Rome. So Jesus was crucified in a public place. The place that some believe is Golgotha, the shape of a skull or skull hill, today is next to the bus station in Jerusalem. Noisy, noisy, noisy. A little disconcerting when you're a pilgrim, but highly accurate for what it was when Jesus was crucified. And the scripture says in verse 35, they crucified him. It's such a simple statement. They crucified him. The gospel writers didn't need to elaborate on the details of crucifixion. Because every person in the first century was very, very familiar with crucifixion. They had seen it many, many times, often with convicted criminals lined up on a roadside to be crucified. So there aren't many details in Scripture, but there are details. A physician wrote these words. The cross beam attached to the vertical beam on the ground... And then the victim is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. And he drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist deep into the wood. And quickly he moves to the other side, repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot with both feet extended, toes down. A nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside for a moment. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. 
Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It's now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. And finally, it's over. And the Bible uses a simple sentence for all of that. They crucified him. We need to remember all of it, every detail of it. That's what Jesus did for you. Because of your sin and mine, he experienced all of that. Naked on the cross in utter humiliation, he died for us. That brings us to the fourth thing, the king is dead. Six hours on the cross. Relatively fast crucifixion. Many hung for days before they died. Weakened condition. It was the plan of God to a, to every degree. Verse 46, there's the agonizing separation from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me for the first time ever? The Son is separated from His Father. He separated us from his father so that we don't have to be separated from God. And so the scripture tells us that from the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then his final word, and in Greek it was one word, to telestai. It is finished. The price has been paid. It is finished. God in the flesh died for your sin. Number five, the king is mourned. God cries out. There is darkness on the earth. There is an earthquake. Creation groans at the death of the creator. There's joy, the promise of joy in the morning. The resurrection is coming. And there were dead saints who were resurrected and appeared to many. And the temple veil was torn to let us know we have direct access to God through Jesus. The veil was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and as thick as the palm of a hand. That is a massive tapestry and it was torn from top to bottom only God could do that and God did to let us know there need be no more sacrifices the final sacrifice has been made Jesus my son number six the king is acknowledged verse 54 centurion on his knees surely this was the son of god he is who he claimed to be everyone will have the final proof in three days and the confession made by the centurion 
is the same confession that we must make. Surely he is the son of God. A mother received a call from her son's school teacher. And she said, your, your son Mark did something unusual. It's good. Don't be afraid. But it's something very unusual. I was telling the class, we had a writing project, and I was telling the class the story of the ant and the grasshopper, how the ant worked hard and stored up food and it, winter's about to start. So the grasshopper, who's been playing all year, comes and says, share your food with me. It's winter's coming. I'm going to starve. And so the teacher said, I want you to finish the story. So it's, it's a writing project. Finish the story how you think it should come out. And she said, Mark raised his hand and said, can I make a drawing? And she said, well, you can make a drawing, but you've got to write. It's a writing project. You've got to write the story in the way that you see it ending. She said, most, most of the students wrote that the ant shared his food with the grasshopper. And so both the ant and the grasshopper survived the winter. Some of the students wrote, the ant said, no way, uh, you're lazy, I've got my food, and so the ant lived and the grasshopper died. She said, Mark was the only one in the class who ended the story this way. The ant gave all his food to the grasshopper, and the grasshopper lived, and the ant died. And at the bottom of the page, he drew Three crosses. The story of our Savior. The king is acknowledged. Number seven, the king is buried in a borrowed tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. We can uh, now rest assured that Joseph was able to use that tomb again if he so desired. It did not stay occupied by Jesus But a stone was rolled across it. A Roman guard was placed there. There was a seal placed on the door. And it's final. It's over. I'm surely thankful for chapter 28. So, number eight, that's it? No. Next time, chapter 28. In this, in this story, we see the power of grace, the power of the gospel, the power of the cross, and the power of the resurrection. So we therefore remember, we repeat the story. And we rejoice in its conclusion. Do you believe that there's power in the cross? Indeed there is. So remember every detail. Repeat it wherever you can and rejoice at the climax of the story.
And that's next time. Let's bow together. In a moment, Brother Gary will lead us in a song of invitation. There's someone here who has not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And in the quietness of this moment, the Spirit of God is tugging, wooing, drawing at your heart. So when we stand in a moment, I invite you to leave your seat, come here to the front, place your hand in mine, and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to open God's Word, share with you, pray with you. And on this Sunday morning in November, you can enter into a personal saving relationship with Jesus. Father, as we remember all of the details of the death of our Savior, we say once again, thank you. Thank you. May we never take for granted. May we never grow complacent. May we never be apathetic. But we, may we be a people who remember vividly, who repeat constantly, and who rejoice forever because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.